0: So, good morning again, everybody here. Those of you watching on YouTube and on Facebook, thank you for watching. Thank you for checking, checking us out. If you have any comments or questions, please leave them in the comments area. Um, and we also invite you to check out our website, fvcelp.org, and there you will find all the information you need to know about our church. From our COVID guidelines to... What we believe and where we're at, and all that directions to our church. So again, I invite you to, to, to go there. Um, the Lord has placed it in your heart. You do have a PayPal link there, and also I think there's also a link on our social media pages. So um, the Lord's put it in your heart to, to to give to help out. That you know your help goes a long way here. Make sure ensure that our doors stay open, that our bills are paid. And that you know we continue to bless others as well. So um you know, again, do that out of the joy of your heart, um, no obligations. But again, uh, it's it's up to you and it's on our website. This Thursday is Thanksgiving Day, and I wanna say to each and every single one of you watching, listening, happy Thanksgiving Day. I am thankful for all of you. Um, I am thankful for the body of Christ, and I am thankful for Jesus who died on the cross for us and set us free from the bondage of sin and death Um, Consider these things as you join your friends and family So
1: this morning we're going to be Finishing off Habakkuk. We're going to be going through all of Chapter three the all of the 19 verses there and I've titled this morning's message though. I fear I will rejoice now after two dialogues with God about the problem of evil, it appears that Habakkuk still didn't fully understand. So here in chapter 3, we'll be looking at a prayer Habakkuk offered or a, a song that he offered expressing his trust in the Lord despite his troubles and difficulties. And the first 15 verses of this chapter. The prophet will glorify God for who he is, what he did for them, and his actions in creation. Thereafter, Habakkuk will respond to his experience of the presence of Yahweh by providing one of the most moving statements of faith and trust found in Scripture. This Chapter This final chapter of Habakkuk will demonstrate for us the necessary process of struggling with our previously held conceptions of God as well as growing into God's revelation of His way in the world. So, before we begin, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord God, thank you for this morning and thank you for being our God, being the God of this universe. We know that you um, have a reason and purpose for everything that you do, for everything that happens, Lord. And so I thank you for for this time that uh, you've given us to be all together to hear your word, Lord. So now as we read it, as we hear it, as we Go through it. I pray that you will have a word for each and every person that's here. For those that are listening, Lord, open their hearts and minds to receive it. Lord, remove all distractions, and may we focus completely on you now. Fill us with your spirit, your love, and your grace right now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Habakkuk chapter three. Habakkuk chapter three, verse one. And the word of God says a prayer of the prophet. According to Shigionath, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Temin, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like the ray, like, or is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him, and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Cushan in distress. The tent mountains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Is your, is your rage against the sea when you ride on your horses? Your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder, and uh, a downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us. Gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. In this first section, we just read Habakkuk praises God for his past deliverance of Israel and for his power in bringing salvation. The title in verse 1 identifies the chapter as a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigianoth. Although it's not absolutely clear, scholars believe that Shigianoth is a musical notation, meaning an energetic, passionate song with rapid changes in rhythm. This Hebrew word also appears in the title of Psalm in a, Psalm 7-1, but in a slightly different form. Now, the prayer opens with Habakkuk singing, Lord, I've heard the report about you. He has heard how the Lord dealt in the past with the enemies of his people, and now he just heard how God would be punishing his people through the Chaldeans. As he recalls the past and considers the future, all he can do is stand in awe or fear of Yahweh's, of God's deeds. See, God's plans were beyond Habakkuk's human understanding and God's preeminence beyond his comprehension. The prophet preferred God deal with his people like he once did, than have them go through what he knows is about to happen. the reason for this is because of the two petitions that Habakkuk expresses. First, he prayed for a fresh manifestation of God's power. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. This shows us that revival is God's work. And it's not the achievement of man. It's not how hard a person can make revival happen. It's a work of God. It's a manifestation of his power, of power of the Holy Spirit. But there is something that we can and must do for revival. We must simply cry out to God and plead for revival. We plead for him to pour out a fresh manifestation of his power and spirit for his reviving work and secondly he prayed in your wrath remember mercy here the prophet is aware that revival may not happen it may not occur he sees his people the nation of israel the nation of judah and he sees their wickedness too he sees how disobedient And sinful they've been. And he knows deep inside that as much as he wants it, revival may not happen. So he pleads that God would be merciful as he punishes his people for their sinful disobedience. A.W. Pink wrote, the wrath of God is his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It is the displeasure and indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. Unquote. So, after expressing his two petitions, Habakkuk's prayer shifts into a hymn of praise. In it, he recalls the awesome things the Lord did when he brought his people from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. Also, in three occasions, Habakkuk uses the word selah. I did, as I was reading, I was reading through and I forgot to mention the words, but you'll notice on... on, Your Bibles at the, some of the, after some of the uh, verses, you'll find the word Selah in there. But, um, he expresses that, uh, and it's a Hebrew word, uh, meaning to exalt or to lift up. And he uses it in a way to express the glory, power, and majesty of God. In verses 3 to 7, he pictures God marching forth against his foes, crushing them by his power and triumphing gloriously. He makes frequent allusions to the Lord's past punishment of Israel's enemies, the judgment of Egypt at the time of the Exodus. He also sings of the countries that opposed Israel on their way to the promised land and the nations that had to be driven out of Canaan by Joshua. In vivid detail, these verses also describe the powerful presence of God in his creation as a warrior against the wicked as the creator warrior. His bright splendor covers the heavens and his brilliance is like lightning rays flashing from his hand. However, even in those glorious things, even in those powerful things, his true power is hidden it's easy to forget that light and warmth which showers the earth with blessings with blessings come from a ball of fire that could consume the globe in a second in a flash so likewise god's power is hidden In his glory. And if it weren't restrained. It would consume. Its beholders. It would consume everybody that saw it. Verse 5 says that a plague goes before him. And pestilence follows in in his steps. In his attack against the wicked. At his will God can strike down his enemies. With plagues. And a good example of that could be seen when, with the ten plagues that, uh, of, that he struck on, uh, on Egypt. And you can read about that in, in Exodus chapter seven, but, but that was him. Or with pestilence, which may refer to some disease that is accompanied with a burning fever. Now, the point being made here is that, God isn't just some old man upstairs who treats people with sweetness and kindness. No, he's all-powerful and he is all-loving. He, his grace and glory are coupled with might and majesty. Now, verse 6 goes on to say that when he stands, he shakes the earth. A mere glance, he startles the nations, and even the framework of, nat- of, of nature is shattered. The age old mountains break apart, and the ancient hills sink down. God's everlasting pathways will continue to remain. This then can be seen as a stark warning to those who show more honor to the creation than to, than to the creator. See, you can be the most ardent environmentalist, but the earth and everything in it is God's. As Psalm 66.4 says, All of creation bows down to him. In verse 8, Habakkuk sings three rhetorical questions. Uh, Was Yahweh's anger, wrath, and fury against the rivers, streams, and sea? Of course not. They were in an uproar on behalf of the creator warrior who fought for his people. They were his arsenal against the people who opposed his rule. These three rhetorical questions are perhaps the most subtle expression of the song's theme, longing for a more dramatic and obvious display of God's power. Habakkuk. And all Israel knew that Yahweh could fight. He can fight for them through creation. The Jordan River standing still in Joshua chapter 3, verse 16. The Wadi flooding for Deborah in Judges chapter 4, verse 7. And the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus. Those weren't just natural events of creation. Yet God used these unnatural events to fight for Israel because he was present. He was there. And they were his creation. So by asking God these questions, the prophet was remembering and he was longing For this kind of intervention again. Then in verse 9 again he presents God as a warrior who took a sheath from his bow. The arrows are ready. This again pictures the various battles that Israel fought on their way to the promised land in Canaan. Battles the Lord won for them as they trusted in him and obeyed his commands. In verses 10 through 15, various aspects of nature are personified in their reaction to the power of the Lord. This section begins with Habakkuk singing how the mountains see him and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by, causing floods. The deep in verse 10, a synonym for the seas and oceans roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. In other words, the crashing waves in the midst of a storm are lifted high in response to Yahweh's command. Next, the prophet recalled the episode in Gibeon in Joshua chapter 10 verses 12 and 13 when by a miracle of God, The sun and moon stood still in their lofty places. In other words, the sky, the heavens. There also in verse 11, military images illustrated God's power. The flash of your flying arrows, the brightness of your shining spear. God then appears in verse 12 as a warrior marching across the earth with indignation and anger, expressing his wrath against pagan nations, the pagan nations who assaulted his people. And it's him. It's him alone who executes judgment by trampling down nations in wrath. After this, Habakkuk sings about God's purposes in his actions and displays of power. First, the Lord, first, the Lord goes out to save his people. The goal behind God's destructive wrath would be to save the Jewish people from the Babylonian captivity and oppression. And second, he described. He is described as going out to save his anointed. Now this was a term used in the Old Testament, not for the nation of Israel, but for specific individuals. So here, Habakkuk was probably referring to the coming Messiah. See, by delivering Israel from Egypt in the past and from eventually the Chaldean captivity in the future, God was ensuring that the line for the Messiah would be maintained. The prophet's song then speaks of Yahweh's victory over the leader of the house of the wicked and stripping him from foot to neck. The image here in Hebrew is that of a building whose main walls have been ripped off and in causing the entire structure just to collapse. And this was something that God did when he destroyed Pharaoh's horsemen who pursued Israel and Exodus and other leaders in Numbers and in Joshua. So you see, if God could do that to the mighty Egyptians then he can certainly do that to the wicked Chaldeans. And if you read Daniel chapter 5, that's exactly what happened when Belshazzar was stripped of his power. He was the Chaldean, the Babylonian leader at that time, when he was stripped by, of his power by the Medes and the Persians. Now, addition to the immediate context, perhaps Habakkuk is also alluding to something much more bigger. It's quite possible that he could be singing about the promise of the Messiah's ultimate victory over Satan. The Bible tells us that when Christ rose from the dead, the power of Satan was ripped away from him. However, his ultimate defeat will occur when he's imprisoned for all of eternity. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Verse 14 describes a battle scene in which Israel's helpless people are about to be scattered by an attacking army. A violent and dishonest army who would be gloating over the weak victims they were about to secretly devour this military campaign would fail because God would turn the tables by piercing the leader's head with his own spears. And in the midst of the chaos and turmoil of that battle, the end of verse 14 pictures God treading the sea with his horses, stirring up the vast waters. Now, it's uncertain Here, whether Habakkuk is referring to an actual historical event or if it's a battle that's yet to come or if he's singing about something much more deeper and much more personal. You see, Habakkuk had still been struggling with everything that God had told him, with everything that God had said was going to happen. So in a sense, God had pierced his mind with his own assumptions and belief. And so maybe, just maybe, verses 14 and 15 is a metaphor describing what God was doing inside the head of the prophet as he contemplated what God had told him, what he knows what he thought about God, what he believed about God. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced something similar? Has something like this, has it ever happened? Has that ever happened to you? i discovered that many times, personally, when God uses his word to demolish my own preconceived notions and assumptions and when that happens my mind i guess you can call it it's blown but it just starts stirring there's almost it almost seems like yes there's a storm in there and he's there in my mind treading water uh, on his horses and as it's stirring up the the waters now i would suggest that if the lord you know, does that with you. Don't panic. Don't get scared. You know, just sit and, and just spend time with the Lord and ask him, Or what are you telling me? What's going on here? Again, I thought, you know, I was grown up to believe this and your word just shows me, you just showed me through your word that it's something totally different. So when that happens, again, just... Sit there and listen to what he has to say. Keep reading. You know, use, be wise. Use a sermon. You know, again, he won't contradict himself in his word. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes that storm in your mind is good. The word of God has a tendency to pierce our thoughts and our hearts. In order to draw us nearer to him. As Paul explained how God had extended his mercy to the Gentiles through the gospel of Christ, he wrote this in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given God, given to God that he should be repaid from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All right, so what we know for sure is that verses 13 through 15 is a collage of historical references recalling the battles and victories of God, of his oppressed people. These memories of how he intervened against evil was the hope that Habakkuk and his congregation were holding on to as they awaited Judah's eventual defeat, inevitable defeat, defeat. And though they may be defeated, they believed that Yahweh would eventually fight for them again and defeat the Chaldeans as well. Until then, the song and the memories of it and the memories uh, it elicits will hold them in faith as they believe in the creator warrior of Israel, and they will need it because it wouldn't be long before they'd become the miserable, dep- deplorable people in hiding. So, when you're struggling to figure out the chaos and confusion in your own life and in the world, especially what's been going on right now in our nation. Verses one through fifteen demonstrate for us three, three things that we ought to do. First of all, we must praise and glorify God. When you're going through a really difficult time, or when challenges arise, like a water line busting in the church bathroom. We must glorify God. We must praise him. He's still there. And he deserves our praise. He deserves our worship. We need to glorify him constantly. Regardless of what's going on. Even in the hardest times. Even when the walls of your life. The walls seem to be crumbling on top of you. Even when things, you know that things ahead are going to be hard. Praise and glorify Him. Yes, it's easy to come to church when things are well and to worship Him. But do that as well when things are hard, when your heart is heavy, when, again, your world is falling apart. After my mother passed away I needed to come back to church even in the heaviness of my what was going on inside of me because I needed to worship him I needed to just be with him it's therefore important again that regardless of what's going on with you in your life even when you're depressed and sad and you're like I want to stay home and I just want to stay under the covers and and just you know I don't want to deal with anyone Or that's fine but don't include God into that. Come to church and, and worship. Listen to, what he, listen to his word. Read his word and hear the message that he has. And if you want to, just, I, I got to go. You can go home and, and rest. But don't, you need to praise and worship him. I was going to read it, but for the sake of time, I, you know a good psalm to read during those times is Psalm chapter 27. So keep that in the back of your mind. Open up to that psalm there, Psalm 27. And second, we must remember him. We must remember all the battles God has fought and won for us. Now, I personally know of all kinds of battles and victories that he's done in my life. And I'm sure you can sit there and recall in your own life what the times he fought for you and he won and how he blessed you, how he strengthened you and encouraged you. Don't forget that. Remember that constantly. Remember how you thought you were too weak to fight these battles and he fought them for you. And you were, you are. You were weak, but he fought for you. You sought him out. You went on your knees in tears and, and asked him to help you. And he did. Maybe not all the time, and there was, again, a reason and purpose for that. But, again, you know personally the times that he fought and won those battles for you. And third, we must keep our hope in him. Just as Habakkuk had hope that God would save his people, then we mustn't lose hope that one day he will save us. He will save those that have trusted in his son. Now we are saved. If you're a born-again believer, you are saved. You have been saved from sin and death. Your sins have been washed away, and in that sense you're saved. But one day, he will also save us from the trials, from the tribulation period that's to come, where God's wrath will be unleashed on the world. And that's why I believe strongly in the rapture. I believe that, you know, from what the Bible says, that he will rescue us, he will take it will take us out and rescue us and save us from all that. And we'll be with him. And then when all that's over, we're going to be reunited. With those tribulation saints, and we're going to come back and with our new glorified bodies, and we'll be with the Lord for a thousand years. We'll be rejoicing, and that things will be different, and... He will be our King, our Lord, our Savior. In the last few verses of this chapter, Habakkuk will conclude his song of praise by providing one of the most moving statements of faith and trust found in Scripture. So while you follow along as I read the rest of this chapter aloud, continue to keep your eyes your ears, your heart, your mind open to anything God wants to tell you personally through these last few verses. Continue to do that. So let's go back. Habakkuk chapter 3. And I'll be picking up in verse 16. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear and the, from the pen and there are no herds, there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice. In the God of my salvation, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain high, on mountain heights for the choir on stringed instruments. And that is the end of Habakkuk's book. Now in these verses, Habakkuk finally gets it. He finally gets it. He acknowledges that the wicked Chaldeans will defeat his people and believes the words about Judah's demise to be true. Still, having heard what's about to happen, the thought of it all terrified him within. And he describes it pretty good. His lips quivered. Rottenness entered his bones, and he trembled where he stood. He also acknowledges that he can't do anything about it. See, God's purposes, they stand. So now he must wait. He must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people that were about to invade them. In verse 17, Habakkuk knows that the coming invasion would lead to devastation and starvation. And he outlines the loss of the major sources of food in a brief sketch. The fig would not bud. No, no fruits on the vines. Olive olive crop and grain in the fields would produce no food. Even the flocks of sheep and goats as well as the herds and cattle would die or they would disappear. But, and again, I love the word but, in a remarkable statement of faith and trust, Habakkuk pledged to celebrate in the Lord and rejoice in the God of my salvation. This is a personal statement of relationship and confidence in the Lord, expressed And it expressed expressed in the parallel ideas of celebrating and rejoicing. These emotions, they're not centered on circumstance, but on the contrary. They're focused on the Lord, who is the source of his salvation and strength. No matter what the circumstances, the prophet was determined to trust in God and rejoice in the midst of whatever the Lord allowed to come. He was fully confident in God's ability to move his people through judgment to deliverance. He then goes on to end the song by declaring that the unfailing source of his strength and confidence is the Lord his Lord or Yahweh his God and Savior. So not only is he saying that God is God but he's also saying it's my Lord he is my God he is my strength he is my Savior. From him alone comes the satisfaction and contentment he will need to endure what he and his people were about to go through. He further depicts the strength. The strength is like the power found in the feet of a deer. So much as a deer can quickly jump and leap through a dark forest, so the prophet said he could move joyfully. He can jump and leap through difficult circumstances. So even though his legs trembled in fear of the things to come, the same Lord was his joy, his strength, and his assurance. And in the final line of the song, Habakkuk sings how God enables him to walk on mountain heights. So not only would he have the strength through leap, through trials, but he also he would also climb the mountaintops of victory and triumph. The joy Habakkuk feels can be found in many of the psalms. However, it's not the usual kind of rejoice or rejoicing or, <coughs> excuse me over God's good gift, good gifts and protection. You see, what makes this joy different is that he rejoices despite the lack of goods and protections and protection. He shows he's prepared to live by faith in unseen promises, even in suffering. When Habakkuk started this book, he felt as if he were about to be swallowed up as he was about to go under the destruction, the violence, the strife, the conflict, and wickedness that was all around him. But he cried out to God, and his cry didn't go unheeded. The Lord not only answered his complaint, but he also provided confidence. He provided the confidence that he needed to lift them up out of that quagmire. His complaints were swallowed up by confidence. His fear turned to faith. He was transformed from a sour, jittery prophet weighed down with the burdens of, of uh, weighed down with burdens to a secure, joyous preacher. Boy boyed up with blessings. He started in the pits but ended in the mountaintop. His journey wasn't exactly an easy one but it certainly but was certainly worth it. This book shows us that the just the upright the happy the contented the victorious live by their faith and it's that faith that helps us to overcome the world Habakkuk is a model of righteousness for us today. As a man who loved the Lord and was willing to seek to understand his way, yet was also willing to trust and rejoice in his salvation, even when his plans, even when God's plans seemed beyond comprehension. There may be some of you who really love the lord and yet you're finding yourself you find yourself facing incomprehensible difficulties well you need not be overwhelmed by them living by faith means remaining loyal to him despite the circumstances it's important to never forget that god is the source of your salvation and strength. So regardless of what you're going through now or what lies ahead, whether you know it or not, whether it's seen or unseen, remain in him. He will produce that joy and confidence you need to accept his ultimate good plan. The words found at the end of verse 19, walking on mountain heights, also helps us to understand the events and significance of the New Testament. Victory, victory in purity, in prayer, and over bondage of false gods and values foreshadows the cosmic victory over sin, death, and and the devil and, and how that was accomplished in the resurrection. Jesus' battle and defeat of the enemy are expressed in the phrase, you pierce his head with his own spears. In the New Testament, the death of the Son looks like a victory for evil to the outside observer. The enemy sought to kill the son of righteousness who defeated death by dying. The descent of the son of God to the realm of the dead became that spear that unexpectedly defeated the attacker. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you this. One day soon, God will vindicate you and all his followers at the return of the Messiah, Jesus. When our Lord and Savior comes back, the earth will be filled with his knowledge, with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We can learn much from Habakkuk's extended dialogue with Yahweh. With him, we can ask difficult questions and be persistent in questioning. We can be historically grounded in God's mighty acts of deliverance. We are also invited to join him in his profound faith in song. Habakkuk's humanity and joy are a model and challenge. So may we be witnesses like Habakkuk. May we be witnesses to God's purposes in a world dominated by corruption, by wickedness, by evil, by treachery, by lies, by cheating, by sin. May our prayers and songs of praise always be that God's kingdom come And that his will be done. That concludes my message here on the book of Habakkuk and my verse-by-verse study of of Habakkuk. But maybe some of you watching, listening, are going through some really hard times. Maybe some here. Come to the cross. Come to him and just lay it out before him. Tell him, you can't do it. Stop fighting these these battles on your own. Whatever you're dealing with, they may, yes, they may be big in your life. Just give it to God. And so I want to give you an opportunity to, to, to live by faith. Have that hope that maybe you've never had. Allow God's spirit to to live in you, to work in you, to blow your mind away. So if that's you, wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and with all sincerity, with all your heart, pray this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn for my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name. Amen. If you prayed that, and you did it sincerely and, and and with a pure heart you're saved you are saved from sin and death you're now a child of god and i think for the mo- i think most of you who did pray that sincerely would know there's a new joy in your heart that you've never felt before So if that's the case, I want you to reach out to to me, to us here at Fresh Vision Church. I want to guide you in your next steps. We want in your next next steps. Wanna help you maybe find a church, maybe send you a Bible. If you're here locally, we want to invite you here to come check us out. But you know, don't stop here. Keep going, keep walking. It's the only way, again, he'll give you the strength. To, to, to deal with whatever difficult circumstances you're going through. So go to our website. Give me our phone number there. Our address is there. Um, if you're watching this video on Facebook later on or, or YouTube, um, send me a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you for spending this week with us. Thank you for being with us, for checking out this video. Share it like it, send it out there to others or send it out to others who may need it. Repost it. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Be thankful for all that the Lord has done for you and for all that he's going to continue to do. So, see you next week. Enjoy the rest of this week. Be blessed. Goodbye
0: and farewell.